Welcome to Charity Talks. I'm Brooke Tenefsky, and today I spoke with Marcus Daniel, the founder and CEO of High Impact Athletes, and also a pro tennis player, two-time Olympian, and bronze medalist. HIA's two primary missions are to get as many athletes as possible and the general public to pledge at least 2% of their annual income to the most impactful charities and then to help them find the most effective charities in the world to donate to. As you'll hear, Marcus, who has pledged to donate 10% of his income, started high-impact athletes when he encountered the effective altruism philosophy, which is a concept of using one's donations to do the most good around the world. Marcus and HIA are making a huge impact in the areas of global health, animal welfare, and climate change. And I hope you enjoy our discussion about the philosophy and HIA's work and are inspired to make an impact as well. I'm here with Marcus Daniel, the founder and CEO of High Impact Athletes, and also a pro tennis player, two-time Olympian, and bronze medalist. Marcus, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I, I love talking about this stuff. So to start, can you talk a little bit about yourself, your background, and why you decide to start High Impact Athletes? Sure. So I'm from New Zealand. Uh, I grew up actually on a, on a farm in the middle of nowhere in New Zealand. And I think through that sort of developed a, a deep connection with nature and, and with animals and just with being outdoors and, and really had a love for the environment. Uh, I've spent most of my life, uh, yeah, over half of my life now as a professional tennis player. And contrary to, to, to what a lot of people might think, professional tennis at most levels is actually really unglamorous and really poorly, poorly paid and it's a real struggle. Uh, and often you're trying to sort of find sponsors just to just to gather together enough money to keep going and keep the dream alive. So that was my pro tennis life for quite a few years. And then around 2015, I had my first year um, on the tennis tour where I actually made enough money to put something in the bank at the end of the year. And then with that little bit of financial security came this desire almost almost a need to balance the scales a little bit because tennis i know for sure and i and i can imagine this of many other sports is quite self-absorbed and self-centered and it needs to be that way because you need to put a ton of work into yourself to succeed but that never sat perfectly with me so when i first had what felt like the opportunity to to balance the scales and give back a bit i jumped on it but i didn't quite know how uh, so like any good millennial, I just turned to Google and, you know, typed in something like how to give back best or how to donate best or something like that. And through Google, I stumbled across the effective altruism uh, movements in, in charity and philosophy. And it just absolutely resonated with me. Uh, and I really dove down the rabbit hole and started donating that year to uh, organizations that were recommended by effective altruism and by their research and made a 1% pledge the next year and over the years built that up uh, until last year I gave a little more than 10% and actually at the start of this year I made the the giving what we can pledge which is a commitment to donate 10% or more of your earnings to an effective organization or organizations for the rest of 
your life. So that, that's that been really great. But then what happened last year was COVID hit. And as a tennis player, I essentially lost my job because for all but maybe 20 or 30 people in the world, if you're not playing tennis matches, you're not getting paid. And we didn't know when the tour would resume or if it would resume last year. So I was I had more time than I'd ever had to sort of think about life, think about my position in the world. And I realized I wanted to do more. Uh, I didn't feel like I could donate more at that stage because I, I didn't know if I was going to have any more earnings. And that made me think, okay, maybe the best thing I can do now is try to bring more people on board, more people into this way of thinking, trying to give effectively, trying to do the most good with each dollar or with each hour or whatever you have to give. And that was the conception of high impact athletes was thinking, you know what, I've never heard any other athlete speaking about effective altruism. So maybe I can be the, the first person in this space to bring these ideas to these people and hopefully use their huge audiences and in some cases, huge resources to really channel a huge amount of energy and funding towards the charities that can do the most per dollar in the world. Yeah, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about the effective altruism movement a bit, especially since it's one of the main reasons I started my podcast and plays a big sure. role in how I've chosen nonprofits. So can you kind of summarize what the basic principle behind the philosophy is and how it's relevant to HIA? Yeah, sure. So, so the way I conceive of it is effective altruism at its core is trying to do the most good possible per unit of resource spent. And when they say the most good, uh, that generally means reducing the most suffering as possible. And unit of resource can mean a dollar, it can mean an hour of your time. Uh, you know, it's whatever resource, resource you have at hand. But that I think is, I think that encapsulates things more or less, yeah. And, and so HIA is, is built on that premise. It's built on the idea that if we're going to give, let's try and give with the maximum return or the maximum good possible. So what we do is we work with effective altruism research organizations in three different cause areas. That's uh, global health and development, uh, climate change, and farmed animal welfare. These are cause areas that are deemed to be highly important by the effective altruism community. And then we take uh, a selection of charities that are recommended by those incredibly stringent uh, research organizations and we put them in front of as many eyes as we possibly can. And the, the balance there is trying not to do too much of an information overload, especially with people who are new into the EA space. So that's why we've, we've slimmed our, our charity lists down as much as they can so that they still hit on all of the major intervention types. But so, for example, uh, in the case of malaria, we have one malaria charity rather than the two that the likes of GiveWell recommends. Um, but yeah, so HIA is essentially built on top of the platform of effective altruism and, and their philosophies. And we try to stay as true to those philosophies as we possibly can, while also trying to appeal to as wide an audience as possible. And this is um, these are the sorts of decisions that start getting a little tricky when, uh, you know, thinking, should we or should we not offer a charity that focuses on artificial intelligence governance or that sort of thing? So, yeah, there are interesting questions there. But in general, we, we really do consider ourselves an effective altruism organization. Yeah, that makes sense. And since the primary two components of 
HIA and what you do involve first getting people motivated enough to take that pledge to donate at least 2% of their income to these effective nonprofits, and then second, helping them decide how to best choose where to donate their money. How have you gone about recruiting like athletes and the general public to take that pledge? So this is where I think I, I have uh, just sort of a natural advantage because I am a professional athlete. And so I can sort of speak from a position of equality and I'm not a salesperson by, by role, you know? So, so if, a, if a message like, like, hey, check out this charity is delivered from a peer or from a colleague, it just hits a little differently to coming from a manager or a salesperson or that sort of thing. So that we're, we're using as much as we can. Uh, my personal contacts, trying to reach out as me, to as many of the people that I know personally, through them to as many of the people that, that they're comfortable uh, recommending that, that they speak to me. And yeah, that's, it, it's actually been extraordinarily effective so far, which is, that's been the, the most pleasant surprise about starting HIA has been just how eager people seem to be to, to jump on board with us. And it seems that it, it's quite a common refrain that a lot of athletes have been approached many times and that goes with the territory. Like the, the more fame or the more recognition you get, the more approaches you get from all different angles and including charities. Uh, and the, the prevailing theme has been, okay, I'm, I might have given in the past, but I've never felt really comfortable knowing where my money is going or, you know, I've never really believed that there's going to be a huge amount of good done off the back of it. And I think those con concerns are pretty legitimate. And that is where I think the appeal of, of EA is just so huge. And the appeal of these, these organizations that we feature is you can be so confident about the amount of good that your, your dollar will do that, when I when I describe the sort of numbers uh, that are involved, you know, like, for example, where, uh, you know, a dollar can protect someone from malaria for three to five years or those sorts of statistics for people who haven't heard this stuff before. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, so it, it has been extremely successful. Uh, if I manage to get a face to face with an athlete, then we're, we're getting sort of 60, 60 plus percent conversions which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty new to the, the charity space, but from everyone I've, I've spoken to, that's an un, unheard of conversion rate. So we're, we're going we're to try and keep that going. I imagine, as you said, people don't always realize the importance of donating to one charity versus another. So how do you sort of approach convincing people to donate to the most effective charities as opposed to just generally because people hear the word charity, they assume everything's good. But why these charities? Yeah, ex exactly. And, and this is this is the thing that i mean first and foremost i actually see high impact athletes as an educator because people just don't know and and this is i, th I think actually the biggest weakness of effective altruism as a movement is it's just not known enough because the ideas when you understand the ideas they seem like such no-brainers they're, they're so obvious and so logical but unless you've you've got the knowledge base or someone who has the knowledge base to speak about this stuff with you just you just can't know that uh and it's unfortunately like i guess it's a it's probably a conscious decision on on a lot of organizations part but less money is spent on advertising and on marketing and getting in front of people and that makes sense when you say you know okay we could spend 10 million dollars on making a few tv ads or we could go and save x amount of lives it's hard to justify the tv mm -hmm. ads but 
that's where I think EA organizations lose out to the household names is because they don't spend that money on marketing. They can't put these messages in front of a huge amount of people. And that's where I think HIA can actually play a huge role because the more high profile athletes we get on board, each of them could come with 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 or you know, millions of followers. So if they can spread these messages from their own profiles, then we, we could get in front of millions and millions of eyes and try to really grow this movement. And the, the basic message, the one that you were just saying, I think is the most important one because some charities are just factually, you know, 10, 20, 100, 1,000 times more impactful than others. And the more people we can get thinking about that, you know, at the moment of deciding to donate, thinking, where can I do the most with this donation? Or is this the most effective place that I can donate to? The more people we can get asking that question of themselves, the better, I think. So at HIA, we're sort of considering our impact in, in, in two different areas. And one is really easy, easy to measure and the other one's really difficult. So we can see how many dollars our athletes have donated to these charities. That's, uh, that's a really black and white figure. What we can't see quite so well is from the way these athletes are communicating and sending these messages to their followers, how many of the general public are thinking, oh, maybe that's a good idea, or you know, maybe I can do more with my dollars. And if you have any ideas of, of how to measure that sort of impact, then we are all ears. But, um, but I think it's an important uh, thing to, to pursue as well. Yeah, I agree that a lot of this, people just aren't always aware of some aspects of the charity world and people don't always understand that the impact a dollar can make is different depending on where that dollar is used. Like I know that a hundred dollar donation to the Against Malaria Foundation, for example, can prevent tens if not hundreds of children in Africa from contracting malaria. So do you think that it's important that people understand almost the difference of a dollar in different regions of the world? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's super important. And it's it's not a it's not a super easy sell because I mean it's it's a human it's part of human nature that we have this proximity bias right like we we care most about the things that are closest to us and that makes a lot of sense but part of the potential we have as humans is to understand what life could be like for someone else or you know un, have to have empathy for other beings and it's again, it's, it's just a fact that a dollar can go a lot further in sub-Saharan Africa than it can in New Zealand or in the States. And if a life is worth a life, like if humans worth is the same the world over, which I think you'd struggle to find someone who didn't think that that was the case. But if that is the case, then it makes sense to, you know, do 50 times more good in sub-Saharan Africa than do one times the amount of good in New Zealand or the States. And on an intellectual level, that, that makes a lot of sense. Getting people who have never heard these ideas from that intellectual, uh, yeah, that does make sense to like a, yes, I want to donate to the charities that operate in sub-Saharan Africa. That's, that's a longer journey, but uh, it's, it's definitely not impossible. And yeah, I think the success that we're seeing at HIA of people coming on board and making contributions to these charities that operate outside of their countries and, you know, often on the other side of the world. I think that's testament that uh, it can be achieved. 
Yeah, it definitely reminds me of, I know Peter Singer, who's an advisor to HIA, has talked about the drowning child hypothetical where obviously if someone is walking to work and they're wearing expensive shoes or something and they see a child drowning, even if their shoes are worth $200, most people are going to go and save that child. But if they if it's someone in Africa and it's $200, they don't always think, oh, I could save a child's life. So I definitely think it's important people kind of put things in perspective like that. Yeah, that's that's such a that's such a hard-hitting essay that he wrote uh, because it, it really punches you in the face with how much you could be doing as an individual. And I think some people actually find that quite uncomfortable, you know, like the idea that, okay, maybe I shouldn't have this, this coffee today or something like that. You know, what if I gave it to, to a place where it could do more good? And I think the, I think everyone needs to find their own balance between those things because not everyone is, is a saint. And, you know, like I, I just have the, the utmost admiration and respect for the likes of Peter Singer and Will McCaskill and, and Toby Ord, you know, these people who have put a sort of a cap on the amount of, of money they'll take for themselves who have said, this is enough for me. Beyond that, I'm not going to be any any happier or if I am, you know, an extra 1% happier, that doesn't make any, that's not a, a good trade between me being 1% happier happier or being able to spend send an extra thousand or ten thousand dollars to these places where I can literally save lives for that same amount. Yeah, I I have a huge amount of admiration for that. And at some point in the future I, I hope I can get to that stage. But for the general public, I think it's just just understanding that as individuals, we really can make huge differences in other people's lives. And not just other people, this is this is other all other sentient beings and in, in the climate, you know, all of these important cause areas, we can really move the needle without losing too much or losing any quality of life ourselves. And that's the thing that, um, you know, when, when people are confronted with the idea of, hey, why don't you pledge 2% of your income to a charity? That seems really scary to begin with. And I understand that because it's like, wow, 2% of everything like that, well, a percentage? But when you actually break it down into numbers and when you do, especially when you do it for the first time, you realize very quickly that didn't hurt me. It actually made me feel good. And, and this is another thing that, uh, yeah, I, I try to convey as, as much as I can is that the, really, I might be wrong here, but I think the only thing that's been proven to make humans happier is doing something for someone else or doing, doing something good. So it's like, yeah, it, it is 2% of your income, but firstly, that's actually not that much and it won't, it won't hurt you financially for, for the majority of us living in first world countries. And secondly, it's actually going to make you feel really good. Like this is, it's not only a, a give, you're actually getting something beautiful back for it as well. Yeah, and I think that there's this balance sort of on a personal level and also obviously an advertising level of, you know, you want people to donate and everyone kind of wants to donate, but Obviously, some people aren't going to be comfortable spending half their income or something on these donations to charities. And so I think it really is just about people finding that balance that works for them and not feeling judgment if they can't give everything because something's at least something. Yeah, for sure. And there's there are some amazing resources online about this. I know there's uh, a giving what we can, how rich am I calculator, which is just, it's amazing. You, you put in your 
your sort of annual income and where you live. And it basically shows you what percentage of the world's rich you're in. And I think a lot of people will be very, very surprised how rich they are compared to the, to the global average. And then it goes on to say, if you donated 10% of your income, you would still be in this percentile of the world's rich. And for a lot of us, you know, for a lot of us, we'd, we'd be in the top five to 10%, even if we donated 10% of our income. So I think that's just a really good thing to, to give people perspective on, you know, the, the, the common uh, experience of humans around the world and how lucky we are to have won the birth lottery if we've been born in any first world country. Yeah. And like HIA, I've focused on a lot of Life You Can Save recommended charities. So can you discuss why you believe those charities are great choices for people when deciding where to give? And is there a particular charity that appeals to you on a personal level? Sure. So what we've done is essentially we've taken recommendations from uh, GiveWell, the Life You Can Save, Founders Pledge and Animal Charity Evaluators to cover the three cause areas that we that we operate in. And we have, I think, 13 or 14 charities among those three cause areas. And all of those charities are backed up by a raft of research and analysis and data that's publicly available. So if anyone has any questions of why is this charity involved or not this one, you can go as deep into the weeds as you want on that. For me personally, I so my, my journey has been uh, more on the environmental side and particularly in farmed animal welfare. Um, so I, I became vegetarian uh, it's probably about four years ago now off the back of a, off the back of being offered some chopped whale sushi in Tokyo. Um, and it just sort of shocked me into thinking, why do I bulk at the idea of eating whale, but not at the idea of eating all these other animals that I think are beautiful. And yeah, ultimately it turned me vegetarian. And then I was convinced by a, another advisor to HIA, actually a guy called Lewis Bollard, that as an individual, because the farmed animal welfare sector is so extremely underfunded compared to other sectors that as an individual, you can actually really move the needle if you donate to these, to these charities that do amazing work in that area. And because it's underfunded, uh, it means that per dollar, you can really drastically improve the lives of a lot of animals per dollar donated. So that's, that's been the bulk of my donations since 2016. I also donate to the Clean Air Task Force, which is uh, pound for pound, supposedly the, the most cost effective climate change organization in the world. And, and dotted throughout, uh, I, I have donated to the likes of the Against Malaria Foundation. But yeah, the bulk of my donations go to farmed animal welfare and, and climate change. Yeah, and just speaking to the bigger idea of how obviously different nonprofits make different impacts, how does HIA measure the impact it is making? Yeah, that's a great question. It's one that we're, we're constantly talking about within the team at HIA. So the, the most black and white measurements we have and the one that's probably the most important to us right now is our impact multiplier. So that's how much money we're spending on on staff, on operating as an organization, on outreach and all this sort of stuff versus how many counterfactual donations are going to these charities that we're featuring. And by the end of this year, I'm hoping to have uh, a really good impact multiplier. So I think our, our first year was, was a bit outrageous because I launched on December last year and 
you know, I, I wasn't paying myself and I'd paid for everything out of my own pocket really. And I still managed to convince a bunch of people to come on board. So our costs were like, I don't know, like a few thousand dollars, but we managed to actually raise 80 something thousand for these charities uh, just in the month of December. So our impact multiplier was like, you know, 150 or something like that, which is, it's, it's not sustainable, but going forward, uh, trying to build an organization and have that impact multiplier as high as possible. So for every dollar that we spend on HAA being in existence, we want to create, I mean, at least more than a dollar's worth of donations uh, to these charities. And hopefully over the years, we can get that, get that up to sort of 5x or 10x the, the amount of money we spend. So yeah, that's that's the main one that we look at. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the, the much trickier one but the one that might actually be more globally impactful over the long term is how do we know what sort of impact we're making on the wider consciousness? And because I think athletes have such large audiences and large voices, I think we actually have the potential to make an impact on the global consciousness, at least in, in, a, in, a, in a wedge of the world's population, you know, the, the world's population that keep half an eye on sport yeah. of some sort but again that that's going to be really really hard to measure but i do think it's going to be very important as something to focus on for us and potentially hugely impactful yeah and do you have any specific personal experiences that you can discuss about how hia has already made a positive impact on either a particular person or a community at large yeah well, so i mean it's Part of the beautiful thing about having started this is, you know, the, the athletes who have come on board and it feels in their in their conversations with me, it feels almost like a almost like a sigh of relief, like, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. And, you know, seeing seeing people get excited about being part of this and, you know, people reaching out to me saying, hey, I've got five days uh, where I'm not doing that much, what can I do to to help out with HIA? I mean, that's just, that's an absolute joy, you know, um, seeing the excitement that this is engendering in other people and imagining the, the sort of snowball effect that that could have over time. So, yeah, I mean, there are, there are many individual examples of, of that, but I think maybe in terms of a community, I think the, the we have the most athletes in the tennis community and that sort of makes sense because that's where I have the majority of my, of my personal connections but it's so cool now like about a month and a half ago being at Wimbledon and warming up in the warm-up area and I'm just seeing HIA t-shirts just sort of dotted around the warm-up area and it's just amazing that you know these people in the biggest tennis tournament of the year are proud to be wearing these HIA t-shirts and being yes I'm part of this community and just getting that getting that message out there so yeah it's uh it's been extremely gratifying on a, on a personal level just to see how many other people are taking taking these ideas and running with them and uh, and yeah I'm, I'm, I'm just super excited about about what we can do over the years and I imagine there's really this snowball effect especially I feel like in the charity sector where everyone wants to get involved and the more people that are just aware and get involved just the bigger impact you can have as a whole which I think is really relevant to what you're doing exactly yeah yeah I'm, I'm hopeful that that's the case and especially if if we can land you know a couple of whales like a, you know some real household names like maybe in the nba or, or american football or that sort of thing uh then that could really 
create its own its own huge wave of momentum but yeah we're we're definitely working towards it yeah and how can anyone who's interested get involved with hia and the work so we're we are all over the socials we have an amazing lady who takes care of our social media uh and so if you type in high impact athletes into instagram twitter facebook linkedin uh any of those then then we are really active there actually we have yeah we we have a lot of good information on all of those social channels because we don't just uh, promote the athletes and, and, you know, notify people when athletes come on board, but we also try to spread some information about the charities that we feature and, and why they're on HIA and why they're so amazing. And then I think actually the, the best source of information for people who are interested in, in diving a little deeper is our website. And that's at highimpactathletes.org. Uh, you can see all of the athletes who are on board, which is more than 80 now uh, and constantly growing. You can see all of the charities that we feature there, uh, some of the press and, and some of the other stuff that's that's been covered. Um, and yeah, I also just think it's a it's a beautiful website. So, yeah, feel free, feel free to, to check out any of them. And also, if you are an athlete listening to this and you want to get involved, also, please do feel free to reach out to me. I, I love speaking about this stuff. I love hearing people's passion for giving back. And uh, if you're not an athlete, but you know athletes, then please, uh, please tell them to get in touch. Yeah. And lastly, is there anything else that you'd like to add about your work or your mission or anything really? Uh, I just, I just want to, I guess I just want to say that this, it's, it's a great space to be in, especially uh, my experience with the effect of altruism community has just been phenomenal. You know, everyone is so helpful uh, it feels like everyone wants everyone else to succeed genuinely, you know, authentically, which is just, it's a beautiful movement to be part of. And yeah, I just, I, I really hope that uh, more and more people can get excited about this way of doing good and the amount of good that we can do uh, if we choose the right places to give. And uh, yeah, I, I just urge anyone listening who, who hasn't taken the plunge to, to join us. Yeah, well, thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I think what you're doing is really great. So thank you. Thanks, Brooke. No, I, I had fun chatting and, and thanks for thanks for having me on the podcast. It was great.